This is a Hoff Studios podcast. Hi, Julie. Welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to get to interview you. Thank you for having me. I'm excited too. I've listened to so many of the episodes, so to be Thank on you. it is an honor. So thank you very much. That's so cute. I was just thinking about when your boyfriend, Andrea, was telling me, why don't you have Julie on the podcast? I'm like, <laughs> she's going to be on the podcast. Just give me a second. I've done like three episodes. He's like, but Julie would be a great interview. I'm like, I know. <laughs> and we just wanted to get... My like, publicist. He's your publicist. He's the best. Um, we just wanted to get the my format down before I started interviewing friends and all that, you know, me get comfortable. Um, and now I feel like I'm in such a great space with it that it's a pleasure to get to sit down with some of my friends. Like earlier today, I recorded with Lauren, our mutual friend, and it's just, it's getting more fun now. Yeah. Yeah. You have like over 30 episodes or something now. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, so bear with me because I want to introduce you to the audience and give them some background and, I know this can be like a little weird to sit through your own bio, but it's on purpose because I made the conscious decision. I was like, should I record these bios beforehand or should I record these bios with them on the call? And I think for like the rebelliousness of reinvention and all that it takes to do what we do in this world and to evolve and to pivot and to grow, we should listen to our own bios. And it's great to like sit in that and own it, right? Yes. So, yes. so we're going to do that. So <laughs> <laughs> my dear friend, Julie Zukov is the founder of Psychedelic Women and brand builder in the psychedelics and wellness space. Julie Zukov is an innovator, relationship builder, advisor, and founder with results driven, result-driven experience working with top agencies and brands, specifically in healthcare and wellness, most recently the VP of partnerships at New Life, where she helped establish the company as a leading mental wellness company in the U.S. treating depression, anxiety, and PTSD with at-home ketamine integration and health coaching. Julie created and grew the strategic strategic partnership department and built out all of the internal relationship processes and external relationships at New, New Network the Clinician Network of New Life. Julie is considered a thought leader in the psychedelic space, speaking on as many panels, speaking on many panels, and the founder of Psychedelic Women, a digital community and speaker series raising the voices of all women in the psychedelic space, which I'm happily one of the founding members (laughs) and supporter of, and you can find me at every Psychedelic Women event. (laughs) She's also the founder of Principles, a consulting firm focused on building wellness companies and worked full-time at prestigious agencies in New York City, such as BBDO, Anomaly, Translation Leading Strategy Globally for Fortune 500 brands such as Sephora, Target, Wrigley, Coca-Cola, Disney. Name it, she's done it. It is her passion to build and grow brands in healthcare and wellness and support founders. As she has supported me, we have designed a brand together and I've worked with principals as well. Julie's amazing. So how does it feel to sit through that bio? So uncomfortable. (laughs) So uncomfortable. I'm like, oh. But you are all those things and so much more. That's the wild part is that like we don't even fit into our bios yet. 
when we really sit down, it's like so beautiful to witness like at such young ages, like the things that we've done and what you have done in the world. So congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, but you're right. It is. It can be a bit uncomfortable to um, listen to the list of things you've done and just um, take it all in and be modest about it, yet proud of yourself, you know? Totally. Totally. So I want to... I was so inspired by a, a podcast you did recently where I learned, even though I've been friends with you for so many years, that you moved to Israel and you experience PTSD, and I had no idea about this whole story. So I would love to just start there. If you could tell us that story, why you moved there, and what you experienced during that time. Yes. Yeah, so uh, it goes back to about 2012. So I was working. Uh, I get emotional when I tell this story. <laughs> uh, but I was Let working. It out, girl. Um, I had been working full time for like eight years, um, right from college, right into my first, uh, ad agency job. And after about eight years of just working nonstop, like weekends, just really, really hectic life and schedule. I, in New York city, I, in New York city, I, you know, worked for amazing companies, but also companies that demanded a lot. And, um, and it was really intense. And so after about eight years, I actually um, took a sabbatical. I was going to quit. And um, that was probably my first spiritual awakening was, you know, in 2011 when I was going to quit and they actually gave me a four month sabbatical. And I went to Central and South America all by myself, backpacked. And that was kind of before Americans really went often to Central and South America and definitely not backpacked. It was mostly like Israelis, Europeans, um, Australians, and me. And um, I had an incredible experience. And when I got back, I realized, like, I don't want to live in New York City and work in corporate America. Um, I want to try living in another country. And I chose Israel. And so I went back to my job. I stayed there for nine months and then left and moved to Israel. And I set up a whole life there. I joined a triathlon team. I got a job in a branding agency that I loved, uh, an apartment, friends. And after about, um, I moved there probably in like May, June. And then in about like October, November, there started to be some chaos there. Um, I actually had just broken my arm in a triathlon. <laughs> and so I had just moved apartments. Um, and right in the middle of all of that, I was at the gym, like just on the stationary bike, just trying to get in a workout after breaking my arm. And um, just on all the TVs, it was just like chaos. And I didn't speak the language fluently. And I didn't know what was going on. But I saw the panic in everyone's eyes, almost like 9-11 in a way, like you could see everybody was very panicked. And basically what the news said was that Israel had um, uh, received um, missiles and bombs to Jerusalem and to Tel Aviv. And that was just not really usual. They happen every day in the South, um, but not to major cities and definitely not Tel Aviv. And people were really scared and really freaked out. And it was like the rumblings of like something major. And if you grow up there, this wasn't like such a big deal. But because um, this hasn't happened like to this intensity um, in, a, in a long time or ever, 
even the locals were were quite quite frightened and scared. So um, basically, like if a um, a rocket comes to your area, a siren goes off and you have about like not even 30 seconds to get, if you're in a building, to get downstairs to the bottom of the building to the shelter. And if you're not in a building or if you're in a car, you need to like pull over to the side of the road and go kind of like next to a building. And if you look up in the sky and you could see the missile flying or rocket flying, and then you can see the Iron Dome like shooting the rocket and shooting it down. And again, if you've grown up in Israel and you've grown up around this you know, this may be a little bit more normal to you. But having not grown up there, it was really not normal to me. And having family there that has explained this made it a little bit more normal, but still not. So I left Tel Aviv. I went to Jerusalem. Then the then the rockets went to Jerusalem. Then I went back to Tel Aviv. Then the rockets went to Tel Aviv. And it was like I couldn't escape it. And my, my bosses happened to be away. I had... Um, new roommates at the time that I didn't know. And it was just a very scary time. And I got serious anxiety and ended up booking a flight within days and moved my whole life back home. And so I had no job. At this point, I was 30. I had no job. I had no place to live. I moved back with my parents. um, And I got very depressed. And at that time, also, um, my grandmother was was passing away from cancer. And so it was just the perfect storm of depression, anxiety, and then also just PTSD from what happened. I had extreme claustrophobia, which I never had before. And I had um, really bad panic attacks that I had never experienced before in my life to the point where like I couldn't even be um, in a hotel room for a work trip, like for a consulting gig I got because the, the windows weren't, wouldn't open. And I was so claustrophobic, just even being in a hotel room, which is not even a small space. So, um, so yeah, so that's the story of the PTSD. And then I went to a therapist and then they sent me to a psychiatrist and then they recommended, um, antidepressants to go on because at that time, 10 years ago, it wasn't like, oh, maybe you should look into psilocybin. Like that, that, that wasn't the conversation here. Well, it's Um, still not the first immediate conversation here. Your friend might tell you that, but your therapist, your psychologist, your doctor, your MD, like pretty much isn't still advocating for that yet anyways. But yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that was the, your entry in to, so I guess the reason you entered the wellness space was because of these experiences, right? Digging yourself out of these holes. So what was that journey like? You know, once you got on medication, what did you realize had to happen and how did you get yourself picked back up and like with a job and a house and a career and all that? Yeah. So I think, I think I was always into wellness. I was always an athlete. My my dad was obsessed with working out. My mother's a nurse. So I think I grew up in an environment that really cared about health and wellness. But professionally at the time, I was like working in things that weren't necessarily health and wellness. Sometimes it was. So it was like I was working on Target, but then I would be asked to work on like McDonald's, right? And so when I left there, I was like, I want to market. I love what I do, but I want to do it for brands that I believe in and mental health and physical health and wellness, fitness, food, things Which like that. Which wasn't like a thing at the time. And like that, no. that, we didn't have whole brand studios and agencies focusing on just the wellness space. Like if they had a wellness project, they had a wellness project, but they would take cigarettes and, you know, 
wellness yes. within the same breath. So like you yeah. really seeing that white space and seeing that vision was was new and like and ended up being on trend, right? Because <laughs> that's where yeah, the exactly. Whole exactly. And I went. think that's that's what got me out of that dark place I was in because I, you know, came back to New York and realized, you know what, I can live here. I need the support of my family right now, but what I won't do is go back to the life I was living. And so I created a consultancy called Principles with our friend Renee. And the first project we got was um, a spin studio called Psych. And um, we continued to work on wellness, beauty, uh, fitness projects from from then on. But to your point, I don't, I don't think there was no wellness agency or design firm. It really was the first of its kind. And now there's a lot of companies that focus on wellness and PR firms and things like that. And then it's gotten even more niche. So like just cannabis or whatever. But, um, but yeah, back then it was definitely a unique, a unique thing. And so I was able to pick it all back up by just pursuing what I was passionate about. And then once I got built the company and got some clients. I, you know, got an apartment again and, um, kind of just continued on that trajectory from there. It's so cool. Cause like you, you always have been on the, in the, like in the, it, to first to market, right? Like in whatever's trending, but not in a, like you're just jumping cause it's trendy. You always have this intuition of what's going to happen next and you've done it organic, organically through your desires. So what led you into the, cause eventually you landed in, in the cannabis space in California, right? Which is how you met our friend, Lauren Courtney. Um, mm-hmm. And so, which is like how this all ended up paralleling into psychedelics. So what was the jump into cannabis and what was the allure there for you? Yeah. So I worked with, um, an amazing girl, Liz at Psych Fitness and, uh, Lauren was a avid, um, <laughs> rider at our studio and Liz's then boyfriend was starting a cannabis brand. He, um, is from California and had farms. And it was about 2016 when everything was moving into a rec legal world and he wanted to create a brand. And I had always been passionate about, again, wellness. And as soon as cannabis became less of just a stoner play, but more of wellness for, you know, anxiety and mental health, relaxation, um, and brands started to enter the space that were focused on that. Um, it became exciting and interesting to me, especially as a creator, when it's a blank canvas and a wide open space, it's not like everything's been done in that, in that category where if you're making like, you know, a makeup brand, it's kind of difficult. There's just so many makeup brands, right. But in new, new categories, there's less in there. So there's just more blank space to create. And so we created a brand called Humboldt Brothers and, um, yeah, everything from, they had the name, but nothing else. So. We did uh, the logo, the brand strategy, the design, um, the website, all the materials, um, the brand positioning, all the language, the social media strategy, everything. And um, that was really like soup to nuts beginning to go to market, to launch, um, you know, even the strain names, all of that was uh, or the product lines was um, just it was just really fun. So um you know, creating a brand in California at the time when it's going rec legal was just a historic time to create, um, to create a brand. And 
the positioning was farmed was um, the highest quality cannabis grown um, from farm uh, to flower. So where other brands were uh, white labeling the products from farms, um, Humble Brothers grew it themselves and um, packaged what they grew, which ensured the quality of the product and you knew where you were getting it from. So it was like a farm to table play on cannabis, which now again is more common, but nobody was really doing that then. That's so fun. And then, so what was, what was working in the cannabis space like? Because we're here now in the psychedelic space and it feels like the wild, wild west, but like you've been here before. So like what was happening and what, what are the, you know, not to get too far out of their story, but like, what are some of the things that you take away that you're being cautionary with now as you enter the psychedelic space or as you're in it, um, that you're really just, you know, you're just aware, more aware of? Yeah, I think, you know, with cannabis, and I'm seeing it now in psychedelics, is unforeseen regulation changes that are um, happening over and over that, and, and there's like a time frame where you can accommodate those changes as a brand, but it's not that much time. And there's unforeseen uh, cost implications for that. So, for example, with cannabis, we were almost ready to launch Rec Legal, and then a policy about packaging changed. And so we had already sourced the supplier. We already, you know, were ready to go and printed it and everything. And then you have probably to like heavily invested in packaging. Already. Heavily invested, heavily invested. And then you had a certain amount of time to switch out your packaging. So usually, when you buy packaging, you buy it on quantities, right? If you're just making a small scale run, it's going to be a lot more expensive. But if you print bigger quantities order bigger quantities, you know, you have the economies of scale. And so, you know, you have money tied up then with old packaging that you, and, and product that you can't, uh, packaging that you can't use and having to switch it over and things like that. It, um, you know, had a big implication on running a business and managing funds and um, budgets. Um, there was a lot of other issues around growing and price changing and legalities and, and, uh, all of that stuff as well. Um, that I could see happening, you know, when plant medicine becomes legal. Um, ketamine's a little bit different with, with that because it's not, you know, grown in a farm. But I think that will be something to look out for. Um, and then also just, you know, the challenges around making sure diverse voices are represented and homages paid to the people that have come before in cannabis a lot of people are sitting in jail, right? Um, while other people are making money off the same industry. And, you know, um, with psychedelics, there's, you know, obviously the elders that have come before and, um, you know, people that have been doing this work a long time. And, you know, you just want to pay homage to that and respect them and be able to have them see the fruits of the labor as well and not just um, the people uh, capitalizing on it. Yeah, which brings us to the point of, you know, I remember the first microdose conference here in Miami, you and I went together for portions of it. And we looked around the room and it was mostly men, mostly white men sitting on these panels. And there was like one indigenous elder from Peru there. And you knew it because he was dressed like he was an elder from Peru and there's like a few women, maybe like five and they were on every panel to be like the token woman. And 
in just a year, we've seen that landscape here in Miami, at least, change drastically. Um, but in that moment, we kind of looked around and we're like, this is crazy. And that, I think, was one of the things that, you know, awoken you to birth psychedelic women. So tell us how that happened and what clicked for you and how did you see that space? And, you know, what was it birthed from for you? Yeah, so uh, exactly. I mean, we were at that conference together. I also had been starting to go to um, Dustin Robinson leads mm, these amazing yeah. panels at, at Soho House, and he's a good friend. And you know, they're they're amazing panels. And basically, I you know came to him and said, like, how can I help you know bring women to the forefront of the conversation? Because I think there are women in this space. There definitely are women in this space. I should say but they don't always have the opportunity to speak and the people organizing the panels don't always know how to access them and, and where to access them. And, um, you know, it, it's not like they're purposely left out, right? It's like, how do you create a funnel and a platform to be able to have people come to you and say, hey, I want a, a female physician based in New York to speak on a panel, like help do you have somebody like that? There, there, you know, wasn't at the time uh, a resource for him that he knew of, right? And so, um, so I wanted to lead a panel, and we called it Psychedelic Women. And uh, he asked me to moderate, and we had an amazing group of women at Soho House. It was January 2022. Um, we had Dr. Michelle Weiner, who's a prominent doctor um, in the ketamine space. Um, she's also leading research studies. And um, Bianca Abbott, who's a, a nurse who also works in ketamine as well. Um, and then we had Denise Vidot, who's a, a clinical researcher um, for cannabis and also works in psychedelics. And it was just an incredible panel. It was like book solid and people came. It was an incredible panel. Like <laughs> not only was it interesting, but like Bianca led a meditation. Um, the women were sharing their like stories of trauma and recovery and just they were heroic stories versus just data and information being shared. Although there was data and information shared, there was so much heart and soul. It was a really impactful experience. And I think I'm glad you said that. Thank you. And I think the biggest thing for me was let's do things different. Um, if we're talking about psychedelics and mental wellness, let's start the panel with some kind of energy clearing meditation to bring that into the space. Let's be vulnerable. I said to the women, if you feel comfortable, be vulnerable with your story. This is a unique industry. You can talk about how you got into it. And I actually didn't know the stories that they were going to share. And I was absolutely as blown away as you with the, with the vulnerability and the stories. That's just like not so common, right. On panels. Um, to share such a deep, deep level of, of personal story. And um, just the work they're doing is incredible. And people came up to us after and said, I want to join your group, Psychedelic Women. And actually, it was just the name That's of right. the panel. And I said, uh, okay, you could join the group. And so I we had a WhatsApp um, for just the women who were on speaking, the panel just to organize the panel. And I said, you know, you know, do ladies mind if we open it up? Some women want to join. And then they said, actually, some women came up to me and said that they want to join the group too. And we, um, it just confirmed my hunch that women need and love a community, especially in a space that at the moment is a little stigmatized, a little taboo. And, um, you know, 
lack some public information and resources due to the legalities. And there already are amazing, amazing groups in the space for women. Um, there just wasn't one in Miami. Um, and so this really kind of launched an in-person speaker series and national digital community in which we actually collaborate with the other women's groups. They're actually in our chats, I'm in their chats, and they're each a little bit different, but all just empowering women to have a voice. They spotlight women. We spotlight um, opportunities for women to speak on panels. And, you know, there's about 230 women in Psychedelic Women uh, right now, and it's growing. And that was all word of mouth, actually. And you guys, been- like, you have to understand that it's 200 and what did you say, 250? About? It's like two, about 230 now, I think. Okay, it's over 200 women. These are powerhouse women in the industry. Like, co-founder of Double Blind Magazine, um, journalist, founders of huge psychedelic companies, authors, like these are leaders in the space. And there's people there who are psychedelic curious, who are just looking to learn and keep up with something that's, you know, they're just interested in the industry or interested in the psychedelic experience themselves. So you have this amazing combination of powerhouses and leaders and contributors to the space. And then you have a group of women who's open and curious and can share and spread that message. It's really dynamic what has been created just in these conversations. When we see the text, the WhatsApp group go off, what can happen in like minutes, minutes. Like my friend said that she went to, um, oh, she was, she was the one hosting the psyched book launch in LA and she needed Uh specifically she needed like a speaker and she needed invitees. She said it was totally booked out within like 24 hours of utilizing our group. Like that's what can happen there. It's it's powerful. Yeah. And that makes me so happy because that's why it was created for, for women to have access, to have a voice, to have opportunity. And yeah, just even yesterday, somebody, um, yeah, people were posting about, you know, it's anything from, you know, a relative needs a therapist who's open to working with psychedelics or who knows of a ketamine clinic in whatever city, um, you know, my cousin needs help to things like that, that are more like professional um, people looking for opportunities to invite the women. Um, Just yesterday, somebody posted about a panel that they're having in LA that they um, want women from the group. Um, to be on. So I think that, you know, for me, it's like, that is the goal. If women can have a voice even, even bigger than they had before because of access and opportunity. And if they can help each other by giving, you know, a stamp of approval on a a practitioner or point somebody in the right direction. um, It's just, it, it makes it all, you know, the reason why I created it. So beautiful. So what was your, what is, and what has your psychedelic journey been like personally? Yeah. So it's funny. It's like, in a way I have like imposter syndrome, right? I think with psychedelics, it's like, what have you tried? What have you tried? You know, what did you like? No, I, I ask it because I think it's interesting. There's so many <laughs> yeah. people in the space that are like huge psychonauts. And then yeah. there's other people who've utilized it in one way, shape or form and really honor it. And they use it in a very specific way. And maybe it's only been like one mega dose and that healed something for them. Or they've tried a little bit of microdosing, whatever it is. I'm so... I think it's beautiful that there are so many different 
spectrums of psychedelic use? Yes. No, I'm glad you asked it. I think, um, I think for me, you know, again, part of the reason with psychedelic women is to give women an education and learning because, you know, not everybody has been in the field for 30 years or 50 years or whatever, right? And I want women to understand different modalities and have experts that they can speak to and know where to read. And, you know, I, I would like even more elders to be involved in the group and, you know, people that have organizations. And, um, I think for me, I have not tried a ton of psychedelics because when you're on SSRIs, you can't. So, I mean, ketamine's an exception to that, but um, you can microdose with psilocybin, they say. Um, actually, they did a study saying it's helpful to get off of SSRIs when you use psilocybin. Um, it mitigates the effect, the negative effects. So I have done psilocybin and it's been microdosing. I actually haven't um, macrodosed because of um, getting off of SSRIs. They say not to do that. So um, I started microdosing during COVID actually. I was starting to have panic attacks and claustrophobia again with like not being able to leave my home. And um, I decided to microdose and followed a protocol. And it was really, really helpful for me. Um, and it really changed my life and my outlook just on the world and, um, and how something like that, that was, you know, not in my world, uh, allowing it in, in, in certain doses and a protocol, like a, like a medicine really just opened my eyes to the power of it and how it can really help people. Yeah. It's incredible. I mean, microdosing psilocybin is probably the most, I find the most accessible way to do it anyways. Um, it's such a powerful tool to, my favorite part about microdosing psilocybin is the fact that you get to do it over a longer period of time, right? When you have these huge macrodose experiences, they're incredible, they're amazing, they're profound, they're really hard to implement. And so microdosing psilocybin specifically is just one of the most accessible and practical and efficient ways to change your entire trajectory of your life and then you can get minute down to like habits and thought patterns and that, that change the entire trajectory of your life. Right. So you, yes, it's one of the yeah, best. I, yeah. I think for, for depression, anxiety, PTSD, you know, to be on medication, you know, it talks about, you know, numbing and things like that, where mushrooms, psilocybin, actually, you know, I worked with my psychiatrist, um, you know, she couldn't officially give me a protocol, but she was supportive and had read a lot of articles about it and was, gave me a protocol of weaning off SSRIs. And then I use that in combination with the protocol and I'm not a doctor and, or nor am I giving medical this or is legal, not medical advice or legal <laughs> or legal advice, but it was effective in weaning off while still like being stable and not, um, not having like just such negative side effects. Um, and, and a, I would love, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I would say I would love, I'm actually still weaning off because it's very uncomfortable. And so, and I was on them for a long time. And I think for being, for such an episodic situation that I had to be on these long-term just wasn't really appropriate. And, you know, I think 
in retrospect, should have gone off them a long time. I think you just kind of forget you're on them. They just become part of your thing. And um, they're probably just not as an effective thing for long term. I mean, they say 60% for 60% of people, SSRIs don't work. They work for 40%. And I think at the time I went on them, they worked. But for a lot, for to be on it continuous, it just doesn't seem to be necessary. It's wild, right? It's it's like crazy what we expect is, or turns into normalized. Yeah. Um, But I think, and I also think you had a good point, like for anybody out there listening and who's, who's, because I talked to so many people who want to get off their SSRIs and don't know how because they don't know where to find psychedelic assisted therapists that they can feel comfortable with sharing. You can find therapists that aren't necessarily prescribing you, you know, these medicines, the psychedelic medicines, but who are open to making sure you safely wean off. And so I think even just that in itself is a conversation, whether you feel comfortable saying like, hey, I'm also going to go on psychedelic, like my microdose psilocybin, you can, if you do feel comfortable, say that, right? I want to microdose psilocybin. I have access. I need your support in weaning off. And if you don't feel comfortable saying that you're taking psychedelics to your therapist for whatever reason, one, you can find others, or two, you can just say that you'd like to wean off of it and they can help you safely wean off of it. Because the most important thing is that you have a support system while you're weaning off, right? It's not... Yeah, you know, like you can go cold turkey. Your body might have a reaction, but you'll you'll eventually bounce back. It's really more, more about the mental, emotional support to make sure you don't experience anything dangerous in your thoughts, right? So yeah. for anybody listening, like it's an amazing way to do it. It's just work with the therapist that you have and ask to be weaned down in a safe manner. Um, I wanted to also just touch on... What are you what are you looking forward to do in the space? Like I know that you're currently freelance and you just left New Life. Um, and you did such an amazing job there with brand part or creating partnerships um with their telemed. And so what's next for you? What are you looking forward to? And what can we expect out of psychedelic women? So um in terms of what I'm we haven't talked in a do. week, so this will be news. I know, me. I know, I know. <laughs> you on vacation too, yeah, so it's like yeah. anything could simmer up right now. I'm excited. Yeah, tell me, tell yeah. me. Yeah, it might be news for me too. I don't know. No, um, I think you know. Yes, I. Um, I'm excited. I loved what I was doing. I loved um, strategic partnerships. I loved creating the veterans program. I loved creating a network of doctor providers um, that we educated on on you know, doing things a little bit different than they had been doing for 30 years of practicing medicine. I loved what I was doing. So I'd love to continue to do that um, in a different way, shape or form. I am um, taking meetings and taking clients, um, also interviewing for full-time roles as well. Um, and I would just love to continue to make an impact in this space. I'm also taking some meetings for advocacy work, um, one with a Veterans Org, another one with a, a task force. So I'm excited to just, you know, give back in different ways to the to the psychedelic community and the at-risk populations. And um, in terms of psychedelic women, so yes, exciting news that you know about. Um, we're gonna, because, 
you know, I always said when the when the chat group grew over a hundred, I would move it over to another platform and now it's over 200. And so while the chat group is still amazing and will stay alive, we are going to move it to another platform within the next few weeks. Um, It will be, you know, it will all be organized channels so people can chat within them. We'll have resources and um, we're going to continue to grow the digital network um, and have some virtual programming. We do have a panel in New York City, April 11th, um, actually full circle moment at the second ad agency I ever worked at called Anomaly. And um, my uh, then boss, now global head of innovation, is uh, she leads panels there at the space. And so she's going to be interviewing me and some other women on the panel about psychedelics and um, community. Exciting. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so proud of you, Julie, and so happy to be on this journey with you, truly. It's been a wild ride since our first psychedelic conference. I mean, for me, I was like, there's a psychedelic space? This is an industry? (laughs) I've never seen anything like this. Amazing. Um, And you obviously had the foresight to know what you were stepping into and what was coming. So it's just been an honor to be you know, in this space with you and getting your cliff notes on what's happening. Um, last question for you, unless there's anything else you'd, you'd like to share as well. Um, what does rebellious reinvention mean to you? How do you interpret it? Good question. Um, I think, you know, rebellious reinvention to me is continuing to tap into who you authentically truly are. And in the sense of reinvention, it's not necessarily creating a new persona of yourself or reinventing yourself of like, you know, this kind of outward facing characters to society, but re-tapping into your values and what's really important to you and continuing to reinvent yourself from the inside out versus the outside in, if that makes sense. Totally. An amazing answer. Because I think (laughs) I often think of reinvention as such an outward experience, but it's really not. It starts from within. And I think the expression can look different to people looking in at you. Like maybe it looks different to them, but it's really you turning yourself inside out and reestablishing and refining and editing. It's like an editing process. Yeah. And I think, well, I think, I think you're really great at it because the world is very distracting. There's like a million and one things to be distracted by these days. And it could be like just a lot of like shiny, bright objects and you get, can get very unclear on what's important to you and what's, what's a priority and what makes you feel good. And so I constantly think about how to continue to tap into myself and what's important and what makes me happy um, as a way to continue to reinvent. Because um, reinvention is exhausting if you're, if you're chasing, right? Totally. But if you're doing something that feels right and aligned, then it's just all the stars connect, I think. Beautifully said. You guys, if you want to work with Julie, if you're building a brand, if you are building a brand in the wellness, beauty, or psychedelic space, hire her. She's amazing. She's amazing. She will go deep with you on what really matters to your the company and the brand that you're building. Um, thank you for your time. Thank you for the work that you're doing. 
Thank you for the contribution to women and to our voices and to women in this space. You're um, a gem and I'm so happy to call you you my friend. Thank you. Same. Thank you for having me. And um, anyone that wants to join Psychedelic Women, just go to the website. We'll have it in the notes. Yep. I got it. I got a little advertisement in the show notes for you. (laughs) Thank you, Julie. Thank you. Great job. Thank you. Every week we have a reoccurring segment and I share my favorite things, tangible products to use, things to walk away with, above and beyond the inspiration of these conversations. Think, what does it mean to raise women's voices? What does inclusivity and diversity really mean? Not in a way that you check all the boxes, but in a way that you integrate into your daily lives and your company's values while you're making every decision. How can it be a cornerstone of who you are? to make space, shed light, pull up a seat wherever you go. What does that look like for you? And where can you begin to implement that? Do join Psychedelic Women. We are a membership of women in the psychedelic space or those are just those who are just psychedelic curious. At the moment, the platform is totally free. Eventually, there will be amazing paid tiers where you can access workshops, events, and industry knowledge or resources. We're an inclusive space who raise the voices of all women and place diversity at the top of our value system. Julie is the founder, and I am just a founding member along with organizing the, some of the Miami events. And I get to do some fun behind the scenes stuff with Julie too. But by no means am I the founder. I just want to let that be known. Julie has done an amazing job witnessing that this needed to come to fruition, and she has done it. There are so many powerhouses in just under a year, and I hope that you will join us. Do not be shy. Thank you guys for listening. Please subscribe and share. And if you're feeling extra generous, please write a review. You know, I read every review and I'm going to start sharing your reviews here on this podcast soon. So if you want your voice shared and heard and reverberated back to you, I would love to do that. Signing off rebelliously and relentlessly. And don't forget, question everything. Everything.